Kia I'm Tom Kitchen and today on The Detail I'm walking down a street in the suburb of Point Chevalier in Auckland and just having a look at the trees that are surrounding us here we can hear the yowls and the sounds of residential life we can hear the kids coming back from school and the trees and the cicadas and we can hear the birds as well just in the background here as we walk down this is absolutely covered with trees, this particular street. Now I'm here with Erica Commers from Auckland Council. She works with the urban forests team. Kia ora. Kia ora. As we walk along the road here, do you want to tell me why we are here? Sure. Well, we're here to talk about trees. Um, primarily, and I chose this location because I thought it was a good representation of tree planting um, that has occurred historically in an older residential neighborhood. So you can see the difference in outcomes. So some of the streets have very sparse canopy cover, some of them have moderate canopy cover, and some have large shade tree cover, depending upon the species chosen. So why does tree cover in our urban jungles matter? In Aotearoa, Tree cover, or canopy cover as the experts call it, is pretty varied. In Wellington it's about 30%, but in Christchurch in Auckland it's below 20%. Local authorities are grappling with a big question, how can this be improved? Auckland Council wants to get its tree cover up to 30% by 2050. Initially, when trees were planted in cities around the world, they were oftentimes planted and chosen and managed specifically for amenity value. But with the amount of research that's been conducted over the past few decades about the benefits trees provide to inhabitants of urban areas um, and all of the ecosystem service benefits and ecological benefits, now we're starting to kind of see trees through a different lens and understand how much more they contribute than just amenity and how really important they are for human well-being. So historically, trees have been planted in this residential area and they've had um, allowed quite a bit of space for them to grow. So this particular street, Dignan Street, was planted with liquid amber trees, which are a pretty fast-growing large shade tree. They provide us with a lot of tree canopy cover and um, yeah and with that tree canopy cover comes a good amount of shading and cooling over the road and over the footpath as well as habitat for bird life and insects. We'll come back to Erica later in the podcast but for now let's talk to Justin Morganroth. He's an associate professor in the School of Forestry at the University of Canterbury. He's an expert on trees in urban areas things that I particularly like about trees for myself, really it's it's sort of their ability to, to sort of shape an environment. It's an aesthetic, um, you know, walking down a street where you've got canopy closing in over top of you. I find that very, very comforting, um, uh, just not from an, an aesthetic perspective, but also from sort of a temperature control perspective. You know, those streets tend to be cooler, sort of less need for, for sunscreen, um, things like that. So... I uh, really appreciate trees in that sense. The areas that I tend to try to spend time in um, on weekends uh, tend to be areas that have, I guess, are a bit more inviting in terms of the trees that they have around them. So, you know, I'd much rather come to uh, shop on Cashel Street Mall here in Christchurch with the big trees that they've got 
rather than one of the um, sort of suburban malls where they've got tiny little trees out in the parking lot and it's just sort of largely a built environment. So I guess from a personal perspective, it's it's sort of a largely an aesthetic thing. Um, but I guess maybe from more of a community perspective, there's there's lots of other sort of benefits that trees provide. But maybe it's 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 easier to think of them in terms of what they do for people and then what they do for sort of the, the environment in general. So... You know, things like um, temperature regulation, that's obviously very important to us, you know, those, for those of us who live in cities. Everybody from the age of sort of five or six years old talks about, you know, trees and, and sort of oxygen production. And I guess the, op- the, the, the opposite of that, sort of carbon dioxide, you know, there's a lot of concerns about climate change and rightly so. But I suppose while urban trees do have a role in terms of sequestering carbon um, and storing carbon within, it's fairly minor when you think about sort of the scale of a, a, of a country. There's been a recent study conducted out of the U.S. that basically showed something like 3% of all carbon that's stored in forests were in urban forests. Are there any kind of, you know, mental health benefits of having trees around? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I suppose it probably comes down to the individual. I'm sure that there are some folks that find trees um, uh, threatening rather than pleasing. But generally speaking, the literature, the the, the scientific research uh, into that topic has found that people who live or play in green environments tend to have improved mental health benefits. There's studies of things like um, outpatients waiting in hospitals who recover faster if their view is of trees rather than sort of other land cover types. Things like hedge planting or wildfire creation um, is really therapeutic and especially when you see the benefits um, come spring you'll see everything starting to grow. You talk about some of the, you know, some people might be a bit anti-trees. <laughs> why, why, yeah. why, what reason do we have to be anti-trees? Yeah, as I say, trees aren't all good. Um, there's people who are allergic to pollen um, at certain times of year, and trees certainly contribute to that. Um, there's issues like, like litter drops, so dropping leaves or dropping small branches, things like that, that people then, you know, have to clean up. This drain here on the street had a leaf trap underneath it with five more mesh, and it just blocked up and flooded down our driveway. The the issue is with the leaves from all the trees. There's things like tree roots going into um, sewer systems or stormwater drains or pipes and sort of causing infrastructure damage. St Mary's Bay residents in Auckland are blaming the council for massive slips that have left some homes hanging precariously over the northern motorway approach to the Auckland Harbour Bridge. They say blocked drains and a poorly designed stormwater system meant torrents of water poured between homes. So, you know, trees are certainly not all good. And I suppose then there's the other question of, um, of whether or not all trees are inherently good. You know, we have, we have problems with invasive exotic trees in New Zealand and, and every, country, other, every other country in the world as well. Wilding pines are tree weeds growing and spreading in the wrong place. Their cones release seeds which travel on the wind for miles. They take root in our native forests, our mountains, lakesides and beaches. So that's another thing that we need to be aware of is that while my general message would be that that tree cover is good, not all trees are created equal. What about canopy coverage itself in terms of, you know, this is a big uh, key word that a lot of councils and authorities are using at the moment. What does that mean, that term? Yeah, it's 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 fairly simple. It's basically the, the total proportion of the 
of the area of a given city that's that's covered by trees. So sort of looking down from above, let's say you're flying over a city, you're looking down from above, what percentage or what proportion of that city is, is covered by trees? I mean, another analogy would be you're making, you're making a pizza or something like that. You cover half the pizza and pepperoni. Well, that's 50% pepperoni cover, you know. Um, we're, we're looking at tree cover instead, though. So Auckland has a goal of 30% canopy coverage. Do you think that's enough? Do you think that 30% is a good target? Ultimately, it's going to be down to every sort of you know jurisdiction to decide what they think is appropriate. So, so I don't have a specific comment around you know Auckland trying to reach 30. I think that's the number that they've come up with, and that's that's the number they're going to try to reach. What I'd probably say is that you know 30% isn't something that we should try to say every city in New Zealand should reach, you know. There's a variety of different factors that are going to affect whether or not cities should be targeting 20%, 30%, 40%, or even whether they should have targets at all. Um, there's a bit of literature these days that's, that's pushing back on um, the use of canopy cover targets at all because it can lead to some unintended consequences. Like what kind of consequences? Well, for example, um, retaining trees that you shouldn't be retaining, right? So let's say there were uh, there were an area within a city um, that had sort of a highly invasive exotic species in them, uh, and we retain that because we want to sort of you know meet those canopy cover goals. But actually, better management would say, well, let's try to target those invasives. Um, let's get rid of them. And yeah, you're going to reduce canopy cover, but ultimately you're, you're sort of improving the, um, the, the health of, and the biodiversity of the urban forest overall. Is there anywhere around the world where you're like, oh, I like what they're doing there, that's a really good idea? In terms of I guess, managing existing tree cover, planting new trees, there's, there's lots of different sort of global examples that have used different sort of combinations of, of carrots and sticks. So um, in terms of incentives, you know, carrots, some cities around the world have used grants or tax rebates. Um, they've offered free arboricultural advice or free tree care services if you're willing to plant new trees or, or retain mature trees on your property. So there's lots of opportunities for cities to sort of engage in, in offering incentives. And then, you know, in terms of sticks um, or regulations, um, there's also lots of cities around the world of the, that have basically looked at sort of regulating the removal of trees. And we have that to some extent in New Zealand. We have district plans with significantly listed trees, but there tend to be relatively few of the, uh, of the trees within a city that are, that are listed and protected. So is there anywhere, like, specifically us in Aotearoa, New Zealand, anywhere that we could look to go, oh, hey, that's a good idea, why should we look there, uh, anywhere specific? So there's no, there's no countries that do it well wholesale, I would say, but like a specific example, uh, the state of Hawaii, for example, back in the early 2000s, they basically came up with an amendment to their state legislature that basically said any owners that have got mature trees on their yards, rather than removing them, you know, the state recognized that having a large tree within your yard can be costly, right? There's a cost to that. And so they basically said every three years, we'll give you $3,000 per tree. And that's just to sort of help to offset those maintenance costs. Portland in Oregon in the US, they've got something called a, a tree bait, whereby basically people who want to plant trees will get a small amount of money um, to contribute to the, the cost of planting. 
Portland Parks and Recreation giving away more than 700 trees. It's part of a program aimed at keeping the city's canopy green and growing for decades to come. So there, there, there are certainly examples from around the world, specific examples from the world of what different cities do. What the scientific literature generally shows is any of those sort of regulatory or, or incentive structures on their own um, tend to fail. And it's only through sort of a combination of a variety of different incentives uh, and regulatory measures that cities are able to sort of more effectively protect their existing trees and, and increase their tree canopy cover through planting and, and successful establishment. Justin's researchers also looked at tree cover in rich versus poorer suburbs, and he says the difference is stark. To me, that's arguably the number one issue in New Zealand cities at the moment in terms of urban forest canopy cover. My concern is is less to do with the fact that, for example, Christchurch is only at 13.5% canopy cover most recently than it is with the fact that the range of canopy covers in Christchurch is from sort of six-odd percent up to nearly 28%. So what concerns me most is just sort of that disparity in canopy cover across different neighbourhoods. The other thing I'd say is, you know, I, I don't think we should necessarily vilify the quote-unquote richer neighbourhoods. That's actually what we should all be aspiring to. We should, you know, we as a city should basically be trying to make effective management decisions that gets canopy cover in all neighbourhoods up to those values rather than saying let's bring the, uh, the, the, the rich leafier neighbourhoods down to, <laughs> down to the, uh, the, the lower canopy cover values. In terms of the poorer suburbs, what can we do there to improve tree coverage? Certainly, a lot of it's got to do with planting. We need to be planting more trees in those uh, in in those neighborhoods, and we're not necessarily talking about sort of little restoration plantings. Um, we need to sort of strategically identify streets that have limited tree cover and start planting landscape grade trees in those streets um, to sort of make an immediate impact. In those neighborhoods also, we've probably got to work with schools, community groups, the larger sort of landowners rather than just sort of at the individual property level and get them involved in supporting uh, tree planting campaigns, education campaigns for the benefits of trees, so on and so forth. Back to Erica now in Point Chevalier. In Auckland, the Mangare Otahuhu Ward, a more deprived area, has 8% tree cover compared to nearly 20% cover in the wealthier Albert Eden and Waitamata wards. And a lack of tree cover can contribute to other problems. Erica explains the urban heat island effect. So the urban heat island is essentially a phenomenon where the built environments um, and man-made materials absorb solar radiation or heat from the sun and reflect that off of surfaces, warming the ambient temperature in the city. So cities can oftentimes be an average of one and a half to two degrees Celsius warmer than surrounding areas outside of cities. And those effects can be more keenly felt in poorer urban areas. And Erica says it's one of the reasons why Auckland Council's trying to improve tree planting. They might be elderly or people without a lot of resources or young or people with compromised health. It's definitely a focus of ours for public tree planting, street tree planting, in terms of increasing canopy cover on streets. And what do you think you're going to do about that? Well, a lot of um, planting certainly needs to happen, but also even more importantly and more effectively is retention of existing trees because existing trees have so much more leaf area, canopy cover, and um, biomass 
than multiple small trees do. And trees take time to grow. I mean, that's the one variable with tree removal you can't replace is the time it takes for a tree to grow. Our intentions with our street tree planting program is um, to focus more so on the local boards with much lower canopy cover and and especially in residential areas. And there's a few different programs and pools of funding that are focusing um, resources on that. But here's a complicating factor. Most of the city's trees are on private land, which the council has no control over. Our urban forest and arboriculture team at Auckland Council manages the trees on public land, and the trees on public land only constitute about 30%. What are you going to do about the 70%? Yeah, and the others are on private land, so they're, they're private, um, in private ownership, and we don't have control over that. That's kind of an area where engagement and education is really important to get landholders to understand the benefits those trees provide so that they choose not to remove them. Yeah, what can you do? Like if someone has like a really significant tree in their backyard or their front yard, and then, but then the, over time the other thing is owners change, don't they? They have different ideas of what they want to do. They might want to renovate their house, you know. So there's a lot of like difficulty around that. How can you kind of overcome that? Yeah, there is. I mean, we do have a list of trees on a schedule that are protected because they're notable or heritage trees. So some of the biggest, most outstanding representations of trees in Auckland are protected on private property. But, um, yeah, otherwise, I guess it's just informing people of the benefits those trees provide to the wider environment, to the ecology of the environment, to the sense of place and um, the history, as well as the ecological and environmental values of our city as well, and, and hoping that something that they value as well. So what about if someone says, oh, that tree got on my... You know, it nearly hit my uh, house on uh, during the cyclone or the Auckland floods. I don't want it there. I want to cut it down and get rid of it. What would you have to say to someone that said that? Yeah, um, unfortunately, extreme weather events are really hard to plan for, and we can't manage trees for extreme weather events because all trees, no matter how sound, strong, and healthy they are, can be susceptible to failure in high winds and with ground saturation. So it is true that we do lose trees in extreme weather events, which is really unfortunate, and that properties do get damaged. But also, in thinking about the number of trees that we manage, just on public land alone, like I mentioned before, we've got a register of over half a million trees, and we've probably lost... I don't know the specific number to date, but I would estimate in the la- in the weather events since January, we've probably lost about 1,600 trees from public land. So the overall percentage of tree failures and tree loss um, is still pretty small, much less than 1%, even in extreme weather. And that's no excuse to say, oh, we can't plant trees, is it? No, I mean, they make us so much more resilient, so even more so. I mean, a lot of places that have had... Um, massive urban tree loss due to straight line winds and hurricanes and tornadoes um, seek emergency funding to replant as fast as possible to make sure that they don't lose their canopy cover. Is there anything that people that might be listening to this can do, you know, just in their own home or their backyards or their neighbourhoods to try and increase the amount of trees? 
people certainly have the opportunity to um, add trees to the significant list in their district plans. So people have the opportunity to to get in touch with their local council, their regional council, and, and suggest that trees be added to those lists. So that's for trees on private land, right? There's also opportunities for private landowners to better take care of their own trees through good practices like mulching. Cities in sort of public areas, you know, we're talking streets and parks and things like that. You know, they, they certainly do their best to maintain those uh, those trees. Um, but, for example, the city of Christchurch uses a Snap, Send, Solve app um, where people can basically take pictures of trees that they don't think are doing particularly well and other sort of um, uh, issues around the city, and then they send it to council so council can, can sort of react to that in an appropriate way. So a tree's just too far down the priority list when, you know, you've got other concerns, I guess, like um, infrastructure and commercial space. Do people just not care about trees enough? You know what? I think I think that they are really far down the priority list, but I think it's really because people don't actually understand the benefits that trees provide, I think we're still oftentimes thinking about them as a nice to have and not a need to have, or as an amenity and not part of the infrastructure. And as long as there's not a requirement or a mandate to have trees, then they're an easy thing to leave out because people are required to put in utilities. And just like we're required to have utilities and a lot of in, a lot of the necessary infrastructure in cities. It should be something that comes with the territory of good planning. That's it for today. I'm Tom Kitchen. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Today's episode was engineered by Phil Benj, and our producers are Sarah Robson and Bonnie Harrison. And thanks to Erica Commers and Justin Morganroth. Ma Tewa.